0: Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast. In this episode, Kat Pollock joins me to discuss her recruiting and college lacrosse career at Duke University. Then we dig into Morgan's message, the organization she helped start to honor and remember her teammate and friend, Morgan Rogers, who tragically took her own life in 2019. Morgan's Message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. They aim to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. In this compelling and moving podcast, Kat and I discuss Morgan's story and the mission that the organization is carrying out today. Please visit morgansmessage.org To learn more about the Ambassador Program and how you can help, please continue to subscribe and share the podcast with someone who it can benefit. Send me comments and questions through matchplayrecruit.com and follow us on social media. All right. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Kat Zimpolik. I probably still butchered that because, you know, my pronunciation is is always off. But uh, so good morning. We have Kat Zimpolik here. She is with um, Morgan's Message. Um, We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, seeing that this is a um, college student athlete recruiting podcast, let's talk about your recruiting story and, um, you know, where you ended up and how your career went and all that good stuff.
1: Let's do it. Where do you want me to start?
0: (laughs) You start wherever you want. So, you know, talk about actually talk about, you know, when you were first, well, when you decided you wanted to be a college athlete um, and then when you were first contacted and how that process went, you know, making your decision and all of that first.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'll take you back. So I grew up, and I actually was focused more on dancing, which mm-hmm. I feel like is a bit unique. Um, like classical ballet and mm-hmm. and point were like my specializations. And I went in and out of sports. Like I played basketball, but I didn't play travel. Played soccer for a few years in elementary school. Hated offsides, so I quit that. I would get too too frustrated. Um, and and so you're I. You're a def- poacher.
0: So you wanted to poach and score? Yes, yeah. yes, okay.
1: exactly. Um, I then picked up field hockey and lacrosse in seventh, sixth, and sixth and seventh grade, I want to say, but not not really competitively. More so, just on like our town league. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized when I got to middle school, I was going to have to make a choice of. If I wanted to go down the sports path or if I wanted to do the dance path, um, what the dance path looked like was most likely trying to study at an academy in DC. It was going to be a lot of time, um, pretty expensive, but also I just felt like I wasn't going to have a full high school experience. And I really wanted to, like, I enjoyed all my sports teams and playing on the team. I'm extremely competitive and I also quite frankly, like did not have the body for dance. And a lot of the girls were more flexible. And, and I I didn't know how long I could ride my technique out until it became an issue. And and then, you know, beyond that, I was like, what am I going to do in college? Like dance? Like it's not really dance team dance. It's a little bit different. So I kind of came to this decision point and decided I wanted to just like do the high school thing, do the sports thing with the kids I'd grown up with and, and my teammates. Um, and with that, I focused on field hockey and lacrosse. And so once I made that decision, I decided to play travel. So play club for both of those sports. Um, and really like, I'm someone who I want to be the best at whatever I do. And even if I'm not like the best on the field, so to speak, I want to feel like I'm setting myself up to be the best with whatever I have. And I felt like playing club, keeping a stick in my hand was really the only way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I made that decision, I got to high school and I made varsity for field hockey freshman year, which I think shocked a lot of people. I know it shocked myself because I'd only been playing for like two and a half, three years, but also only like a season competitively. Um, But my coach saw something with me and worked. I worked my way up to like starting Freshman year, which was awesome, and I loved field hockey um and I realized there that year like maybe there could be something there like I really loved the sport I knew that I thrived on the structure of a sport, but didn't know like quite frankly I didn't really know what that looked like like I didn't have a lot of friends whose older siblings played sports in college. my parents were not college athletes like it was very it's almost like when you think about careers like i grew up with a physician assistant as a mom and a lawyer as a dad so and like we we had a lot of military families around us and a lot of doctors and so to me like even the career paths that were in front of me i had no idea about retail and consulting and as crazy as that sounds it just like wasn't the world that i was living in so if you take like if you isolate the sports it was like i didn't really know anyone who whose parents had played a college sport, um, whose siblings. So it was a whole new world for me that I got introduced to within my club team because of girls I was playing with who were older, who were committing, or alumni who would come back and kind of speak about like what they had been doing. So then we got into my spring of my freshman year, and for lacrosse, I made JV. And I was on the cusp of if I had been on varsity, I would have rode the bench pretty hard at JV, like I didn't come off the field. So the coaches kind of made a decision to put me on JV until they felt like I would get valuable playing time on varsity, which I ended up getting pulled up at the end of the season and was able to get some playing time, which was great. Um, that summer I kind of was like, okay, like I, I want to be, I want to be playing a sport in college. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know like where, where I would go. Um, but I know I want to do that, um, and so I started to focus more so on field hockey. And I don't know if do you do you need do you want do you have any questions so far? I feel like I've talked keep for rolling. five minutes. Just keep rolling. Okay. The less
0: I talk, the better.
1: Okay. So <laughs> I want I wanted to focus on field hockey. Um, my my sophomore fall went well. I like I can't really remember the recruiting timelines, and, and there's a reason for that. But I was more so looking to play field hockey in college. And as I'd been playing on club, my the taste of my mouth kind of got sour from field hockey because of my coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like there was a consistent pattern, which I generalized, but mm-hmm. I mean, again, I tend to make up my mind and then stick to it. Um, I just felt like, my lacrosse coaches got it and like were supportive and challenging, but in a way that was respectful and you knew that they had your best interest at heart and that had been a consistent pattern. But on the field hockey side, I felt like I was always kind of like butting heads or not understood and challenged in the wrong way. That wasn't the way that I like needed to be motivated or like, you know, felt supported. So I ultimately decided that like I didn't want to play field hockey in college based on like my experiences with the coaches. And quite frankly, like I'm not made to run five miles in a game at the collegiate level. So it was probably a blessing in disguise when I, when I look back to it. Um, but I really loved field hockey and I was way better at field hockey than I was at lacrosse. So I think like my parents were like, huh, okay. Um, but they supported me. And so with that, I was like, okay, I want to do the lacrosse thing. So, I was playing on a club team that wasn't as competitive, I would say, it wasn't really like a name brand, which mm-hmm. club has gotten better for lacrosse these days. But way back when, it really mattered who you played club for. So, I decided going into sophomore year, I was going to try out for like the top club team in our area. Um, I actually made the, I had a terrible tryout. I I remember being so nervous and just having this like terrible mindset of like, these girls are all so much better than me instead of being like, I have nothing to lose. Like I wasn't on this team last year, you know, and it ended up working out, but I was on not like the wait list, but the alternate. So if anyone didn't accept their spot, I was like the first one on to the B team. Cause it would be like, if A team didn't accept, right? like there's a list on the B team, they would get pulled up and then Right. Yada, yada. Um, I found that out and I was pretty bummed, but I was like, next year's my year, I'll work at it. And then a week and a half later, we got a call that was like, someone got injured and someone didn't accept. Like, we're actually bumping two people up, like, yada, yada. So, I made it on that team. And that was really what changed. I had an incredible coaching staff and I was playing with girls who were really like challenging me. And I could see myself like continuing to grow. So that was kind of the first step of being like in the lacrosse world of girls had consistently gone to play at the top tier schools. So think UNC, Notre Dame, Duke, UVA. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to start kind of visualizing, even if it wasn't an ACC school, like what does it look like to play in college? My coaches were former like college players who had played at Hopkins and Cornell. So like, you know, some of these bigger names. And so I really felt like I was starting to see what it could be like to play in college. And the girls I was playing with, we practiced with the A team and like would scrimmage them. I was like, okay, I'm not at that level, but I can hang. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are some of the best girls in the country. Like they were incredible athletes and incredibly talented. Um, My sophomore year, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, So, like, how are you like adapting? How are you? maybe doing extra things to get yourself up to that level? I'm, Cause I'm sure I, I'm sensing that like, you were like, all right, I gotta get, I gotta get to that top level. Like, yeah. how did you um, make bridge that gap?
1: Yeah. I would say, I don't think I ever totally bridged it. Like I definitely like became the best like defender on my team and could hang with the girls on the top team, but wasn't ever like pulled, pulled up for whatever reason. Um, but I, I really just focused on like wall ball. Like I was like, if, if I can catch and throw every single pass, like that's going to be something that like, if you can be consistent in your passing and catching, like that's pretty much like the mark of like great fundamentals. If I can play really good one V one defense, like great, but that's not where my strength is. Like I'm not, I don't. I didn't necessarily have endurance. I knew I had really quick steps and I had really great vision on the field. So I was basically like, how do I make that my strongest suit and my strongest characteristic where someone has to keep me on the field because I can call out the slides? I can tell people when to go. I communicate. And so trying to find my strengths and then really dig into them, but also know my weaknesses so I could prepare for them. So if I knew that I was like weaker 1v1, I would call for help sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to figure out like what made me stand out, but also what people would be like, this is a red flag, or this is something that like, you know, we're not sure about. Um, I had two girls the year below me, one of them who was one of my best friends and then her cousin, they ended up playing uh division one and they were like all stars, like scoring five goals a game type type kids. And so I would go out with them and and my best friend was an attacker. And so she would really help me with some of the some of the concepts, and she would go one on one with me like every day in practice, and that helped a lot um and not even just like in practice practice at high school, but we'd go out on Saturdays, we'd pass mm-hmm. around like and and that helped me up level because she like she was one of the top players in the nation and just had this like innate sense for the goal. so I felt like she helped me level up a lot. Um, But it was a lot of the work and like I coach now, I coach a club team now and my biggest thing is like the work you put in outside of practice is really what makes a difference. Like talent can only get you so far. It's the work ethic and it's the drive that gets you to that next level and it's being willing to invest in yourself and I don't know if the word sacrifice is like the right word but it's like. You're spending four hours scrolling on TikTok. Like, surely you have 30 minutes to go hit the wall (laughs) if this is that important to you. And if you're not willing to sacrifice 30 minutes of your scrolling, like, you should probably reevaluate your priorities. Um, which I think, I think for me, I was like willing to stay after practice, go before practice, shoot around, like, work on things and ask. I, I did a lot of like, What do you get nervous about when I'm on the field? Like, what what's your like? Oh shit! Like moment when it's is it transitions? Is it one v ones? Is it ground balls? Like, what is it that you're like? Oh shit! And then what is it that you're like? Oh, cat's got this. I'm not worried.
0: Um,
1: and asking for that feedback and not taking it personally, but rather being like, these are clear areas where I can grow my game and I can improve because you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so I think that was probably what like helped me level up. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I also just had coaches that really like believed in me, which I think can go a long way, especially as like a young woman
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, having that support of like, if you make a mistake, you're not getting yanked yanked off the field. You're being told like, Hey, like what happened there? You know, talking through it and then saying, let's, let's try this next time. Or like, you've got this like next play mentality that was also something that I think was really impactful. Yeah. Um,
0: I wanted to ask you about, um, so you mentioned just kind of the the feeling that you got, excuse me, um, from your field hockey coaches versus the lacrosse coaches. And, you know, we've talked before on this podcast about like, you know, like developing trust between the player and the coach and being able to be vulnerable and, and not be, like you said, not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, talk about, you know, what your experience was with the field hockey coaches that made gave you the feeling that, you know, I just got to get out of here, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um,
0: it's been a long time. So there not- were
1: two, yeah, there were two probably instances that, that come to mind. One One that happened like after I knew I wasn't going to do field hockey that really solidified, which wasn't necessarily fair to all to generalize all of my field hockey coaches, but I was on a team and we were like voting for captains, but we didn't actually vote, our coaches like chose them and I didn't get chosen. And I was like pretty upset because not only was I like the best, like, one of the best players on the team, I really felt like I was truly a leader on the field and had never been told anything differently. So Mm -hmm. I kind of was, I was helping plan practice based on like, which probably tells you a little bit about my coach. Um, (laughs) And I was upset and like had a conversation with her and and kind of was like, "Eh." and then, I mean, this is terrible that my mom got involved, but my mom like was, my mom basically was like, can I just talk to you about this? Like, I'm a little confused, my daughter's really upset. I don't know what to tell her, and like she she's someone who needs like answers and needs and now thinks that she has something to work on, and I need to give her something that she can like work on if she feels like she's not hitting the expectations of a leader mm-hmm. and she met with the coaches and the coaches told her, well, cat gets all the awards, cat gets all the recognition. I wanted other people to have something. Mm-hmm. And my mom came and told me that and I I was like done at that point. I just was kind (laughs) of like, okay, like wheels are kind of off the bus. Like I'll play, I'll give it my all. But like that, that was something that I felt like, and granted, right. Like any coach could do that now looking back, but it really felt like I had this like pattern of field hockey coaches, my other club. Well, yeah, my club coach, um, I'm like, I don't want to throw anyone into the bus, they were like actually did not know how to coach young women um i would go into a game i would make one mistake and i would get yanked and i would get yelled at on the sideline um i there there's one tournament where we were down in florida and i don't know what i did but i did something and my coach yelled at me on the field like i was next to the sub box and he was yelling and yelling and the ref was right there and at this point like I can be a little sassy like I looked at him and I was like okay like you can pull me out if you want to kind of like a like like if you're gonna keep yelling at me and telling me I'm making mistakes then like yank me like I don't feel like getting yelled at and the ref gave him a yellow card or a green card and was like unsportsmanlike and I looked at the ref and the ref was like he shouldn't be talking to you that way like this is unsportsmanlike yada yada And I was like, oh yeah, this is like not normal. Like thought it was normal, this is not normal. So like the yanking in and out, the way that like I was just like spoken to and constantly like criticized for every little mistake. And it was like very much so there were like two of us on that team that got this type of treatment, and the other people didn't really get it, which they also like recognized. So those were kind of like the reasoning behind field hockey, which seemed like yeah. very in, insignificant now, but like me in high school was like very stubborn. And, and when I did, <laughs> didn't agree with something, I was like, I'm not doing yeah. this. Um, <laughs> if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Um, you mentioned like, uh, the difference in, or I can't remember how you phrase it now, but, um, basically coaching young women. Right. And there's, yeah. there's, um, a way to do it and there's a way not to do it and um you know talk about what works what doesn't work and you know when it isn't working how it affects um a, a young woman but you know it could affect anyone really but you know from your perspective you know how it affects mentality and, and that sort of thing
1: yeah, yeah. i I've, i think what works is like you have to build a foundation of trust. Um, And what I mean by that is like as a young woman, like feeling supported and feeling like your coach has your back is so, so, so important to success. Because if you are constantly thinking about if I make a mistake, I'm getting pulled off of this field, you are going to play like, very not passively but you're not going to take risks and i think risks have the great like calculated risks have the greatest reward like you need to feel like if you are going to make a dodge or do this or do that like your coach even if it goes wrong your coach is going to say like next play or like in film you know break it down and be like let's talk about like why this was a good idea and then like how we can do this better next time um and i think that's really the biggest the biggest piece is when people are overthinking and are so worried about being pulled off the field. They're not going to play their best. They're going to play like, honestly, usually the opposite, um, because they're so scared. Right. And when you play scared, it's not, it's not a good recipe. Um, and so I think like, especially with, with young women, we take things, at least like I took things a little bit more personally and I, I would be like, not, I don't know, not as confident. And I think like confidence is key also being out on the field. So like what that looks like I think it all starts in practice and it all also starts like with how you communicate. So I'll text I'll text my girls after a practice if something stood out to me of like you took a risk. I'll be like, "Hey, I loved that draw control in the scrimmage. Like I really think you did a great job of boxing out. I can tell that you're really listening and paying attention to to like these concepts that we've been showing, like great job, keep up the great work. Like really like building them up so that when you have something for them to work on or like constructive criticism, they're like, she has my best interests and she really wants me to get better. She's not trying to tear me down. Um, yeah, I also like, you know, I just try to, to really call out like the good things and then pull them aside and say, like, let's chat about like what we could do differently here. Like, do you understand this concept? Like, if not, let's walk through it. Um, cause I think when you have that trust, you're able to give that feedback in a way that's not perceived as like, she's nitpicking. It's always me. It's this, it's that. Right. Um, which is like, I don't know, again, young women are just where we can be a lot. We can, there's a lot of things going on. It's like, you're in that Real. phase too, where like the hormones are going and right. your body is changing. So it's like you take the human and then you add in the athletics and it's, it's an interesting recipe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had a, um, the coach from Christopher Newport university on, she played at Maryland and uh, a lacrosse coach. Um, and she said that like women, they have the same react or the same emotions, obviously, but they just display you know their reactions differently and so totally. it just made it just made total sense to me when she said that and um you just have to know how to how to you know I don't know what the right word is it's not handle that's not the right word but just like you know be around that and and accept it and and um you know everybody's moving in the same direction so um, yeah yeah that trust piece is is what is crucial and you can't gain that by just always pounding somebody down. So
1: yeah. no. Um,
0: So yeah. So then you, you're, you're figuring lacrosse out. Um, You've got a good set of coaches, you're on a good team. And so what happens? I think you were, you were like through your sophomore year. And, and so when does college, when do colleges come a call on, so to speak?
1: Yeah. So the rule has changed. It changed. I want to say the year after, after me where coaches aren't able to contact like directly as an athlete until September 1st of their junior year. Before that, it was like the wild west. Um, there were some kids who were rumored to be getting recruited and committing at in eighth grade, which is ridiculous. Um, my, my friends I grew up with committed late June of their like end of their freshman year. Again, crazy. Like you can't even drive a car and you're deciding, where you're going to spend like (laughs) four years of your life, right? Like it's so early and so much can change with what you want to study or the type of people you want to be around or the caliber of play you want to play at, or you can get injured, you can burn out, like all that. So girls were, girls were committing kind of like sophomore through junior year. I started really looking at schools, like my sophomore summer, I was doing some like prospect days, trying to get a feel for some schools and junior fall. Truthfully, like in talking to like my parents, I, I'm i from Virginia and we have really great state schools. So they were kind of like, <laughs> they were kind of like, you need to go to a caliber school of like UVA or Duke or we're not paying for it type of a thing. Um, And I had the grades. For it, And I think there was probably some um, bluffing to that because I think they would have covered wherever I went if I was passionate enough by it. But I think they were trying to kind of push me to look at like an Ivy or, you know, some of these top tier schools. So I was looking and I didn't feel like any of the schools that were interested in me were at the caliber like academics wise that I could get into on my own. And I really felt like you use sports to get into a school that you normally couldn't get into and, or like had a low, lower chance of getting into. And so I made the decision to ultimately like try to walk on wherever I went. Um, and I had a few schools in mind, UVA at the time didn't take any walk ons. Like they only took recruits, um, JMU, I I don't know if I should say schools, but like JMU I was like interested in, but I was like, is this a school I could see myself at? And I didn't really think I could. Um, There were a few schools like that where I was like, they would have a recruited walk-on spot for me if I got in and I decided I wanted to play. And honestly, Mm -hmm. recruited walk-ons are a very big win for a lot of schools because you don't have to pay money, but a lot of times they are girls. Who can hang and even if they can't make a difference on the field, they're normally girls that can make a difference on the bench or at practice mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth and academics wise balancing out the classes for for um like uh what's it called entrance okay. purposes yeah, like average yeah. GPA yeah, yeah. and scores, yeah, so I contacted here at Duke, I like met with her, and I basically was like Duke's my dream school." If I get in, like, I'd love to work to get a spot on the team. Um, And she was like, yeah, like, we don't have any spots left. Um, You're a solid player. Like, you'd be on the lower tier of, like, what we normally recruit, but, like, could see you making a difference at practice, yada, yada. Um, Everyone speaks so highly of you. So she was like, if you get in, like, you have a spot. You don't need to try out for it. Like, you will be considered a recruited walk-on. But you have to get in, and I was like, "Yeah, no problem." Um, so Duke was really the only school that I had like had that conversation, met the coach. The other schools that I applied to, I was like, "If I get in and I want to go there, I'll have a conversation with the coach after I get in." Um, so going into my senior fall. I had like a long list of schools I was applying to. I think it was ended up being like eight I actually applied to, but I applied to Duke early. So I got all my applications done, but I couldn't put any of them in because Duke is binding at early application. And I didn't get in early. I got put on the wait list, which was crushing. Like I was like, I just want to go to my senior spring and not have to worry about where I'm going and and so on. Um, And I... I, it was such a blessing in disguise because at the time I was like, I think I want to go here. Like, I think this is my dream school, Mm -hmm. but I was struggling with, is it my dream school or is it just like the school I want to go to? Because my dad went to Duke, my uncle, my aunt, it's just always been, it's been the only school that I've really ever known about for however many years. So I was kind of struggling with like, is it actually what I want to do, or is it what my dad wants me to do, or is it just like yeah. the allure of Duke and all the fun things that you go through in high school? Um, so I basically how the waitlist worked was like you then went into normal decision, but the waitlist was evaluated separately from normal decision, so you almost like had a higher chance of getting. Off the wait list and in depending on, you know, the other the other stuff. But you didn't, it wasn't like you got put into the bigger bucket, if that makes yeah. sense. They just kind of like reevaluated based on like the other applications they saw. So I got to apply to all the other schools that I kind of like talked about, UVA, JMU, um, Virginia Tech, like I threw a few Ivies in there just to see. I think I threw like a random like Stanford because I was like, why not? And my dad was like, okay, Um, you know, just to like see what stuck. Um, I ended up getting into like a good amount of the schools and I got into Duke and I was so excited because I was like, now I get to make a decision. Like now I really feel like the ball is in my court. I get to decide if this is really what I want to do. Or if this is something I just like thought I wanted to do, I visited the other schools and I really felt like Duke. Duke was like home. Like Duke was the academic caliber that I wanted. I mean, who doesn't want to support Duke basketball? And like the campus is beautiful. Um, the classes that were offered were, you know, I just felt like all in all, like it was what I wanted to do. And I knew that like if I didn't like it freshman year, I could transfer. That that was always an option in my mind. So mm-hmm. I remember calling Kirsten and being like, hey, like I got in, yada, yada. And she was like, yeah, like you still have the spot. Like, do you want it? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, are you sure you want it? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you do understand like the – sacrifices like the balancing of academics and athletics and you know like you understand all that goes with you saying yes right and I was like yeah like I thrive on the structure I like love the team and I was like I can really see myself fitting in there she was like all right the spot's here is like let's get you set up to come to camp we'll make sure we room you with one of the other girls in your class like I'll send you all of their phone numbers so you can reach Mm -hmm. out to them make those connections like if you need anything else, let me know, but I'll start sending you like workout packets and whatever in the next like month or so. And she was like, keep me posted on how senior season goes. If you get any like accolades, yada, yada. So that was like pretty much my kind of like recruiting journey. And I mean, it looks so different for everyone else, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, Cause I think I ended up in the right spot, albeit not like the traditional. traditional path
0: yep. made your own path
1: yeah made my own path um much probably to the dismay of my parents and all the stress i was (laughs) incurring and like the late nights of being like oh what do i do um but yeah it worked out
0: yeah um so what was duke like
1: duke was amazing um (laughs) there were some some high highs some low lows i i kind of went from being in a Big fish in a little pond to being a little fish in a big pond. Um, lacrosse was different than the experience I had growing up. Like I kind of realized pretty quickly that I could hang and I could be an impact player, but I wasn't going to be an impact player in games. And so I always shot for that, but I kind of knew like, where's your special sauce, right? Mm. And I felt like scout team, I could make a difference. I, I kind of picked the things where I thought like, I'd be able to add value even if I wasn't on the field. And that was really where I kind of dug into. Um, and it can be frustrating not playing, but at the end of the day, I I feel like my junior year, I really settled into like what's my role. My role is being a great teammate first and foremost. And if the coaches want to put other people in, they want to put other people in. Like, I can't control that, but what I can control is my attitude and how I show up to practice and how I communicate with my teammates and communicate with my coaches. And, and so my experience playing at Duke was very much so like practice every day, didn't really play in games, um, which wasn't high on my priority list. Like I kind of knew going in that, you know, it's not necessarily like 0% chance, but these girls that I'm gonna be playing with are the top of the top. And if they have the work ethic and they have the talent piece, like sometimes that just can't be matched. And it might be a case of like the defensive set that they have going on, like doesn't fit my strengths. And so knowing all of that, my expectations were like very low in terms of, playing time and and you know everyone is different like i i had friends who went to a school that was not maybe not in the top 25 because they wanted to play starting freshman year and they were not interested in going to a school that was maybe making it to the final four if it meant they weren't going to be on the field playing um and everyone values things differently and so i don't know that was kind of my my experience and i if i could do it all over again i would do probably make I would make the same choice. Like it was, it was great for me. And I learned a ton and still like see some of my teammates frequently and infrequently and keep in touch. And I don't know, hopefully yeah. that answered your question.
0: It does. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, like you mentioned friends, um, made a lot of, you know, every person who plays college sports, I talk to his, you know, lifelong friends, basically from, they're playing time playing um and so you made one friend named Morgan right yeah. um and so let's let's get into that um just you know talk about her and you know maybe just briefly about how she ended up at duke and um you know your time playing with her and that sort of thing
1: yeah so morgan rogers was the year below me she grew up actually pretty close to me and so i had always <laughs> heard about her in high school and the narrative was like this freak athlete who is just a beast at everything she does. That was like pretty much what, what who Morgan was. Um, I'm not like as familiar with her recruiting process, but I will say she was highly recruited. Like she, mm-hmm. she was just an athlete. Like I think people looked at her and were like, this kid has drive. She has the work ethic and she's just genetically blessed. Um mm-hmm. And she decided on Duke um, so I met her my sophomore year and like right away it was kind of like she's just a goofball. She's a ray of sunshine, like always on the ox, always playing music um, and we she, her freshman year she didn't really play, which I could tell she was like you could tell she was like so driven to play like that was mm-hmm. her goal, right like my goal was a little bit different. Her goal was like I'm gonna be on the field. Freshman right. year, it wasn't there, but like sophomore year, she came in, she worked so hard over the summer. She was like firing on all cylinders, starting every fall ball game on the MIDI line, like you name it, she was doing it. And my junior year, her sophomore year in preseason, so in like January, she tore ACL. And I had been struggling with a hip injury at the time, so I wasn't, like, fully cleared to practice. And I remember standing with our athletic trainer while they were playing sevens and literally seeing her take a dodge and just, like, went down. And it was, like, ugh. Like, like, I can still play it in my head. And ended up tearing, like, everything in her knee, having to be, I think, like, pretty much reconstructed kind of an injury. Um, and I don't need to get into like the details of her like rehab recovery of her knee, but it was a pretty long process. She was like constantly in pain, but we were together most of the time because I had also needed to have hip surgery that February. So we kind of went from being friends to being like on the injured reserve together and like working through in, in the like training room, um, missing some practice, but like you know, that kind of formed a bond. And so I always like really thought highly of Morgan and, you know, was there through a lot. Um, when I, after I graduated, I decided to do a year of business school. Morgan was going back for her like pseudo senior year. She had ended up taking some time off, um, to kind of, really focus on recovery and not jump back into lacrosse, to rest her body, kind of get, get herself right to come back. And that year we had like monthly dinners. I mean, Morgan was just the best. Um, ultimately Morgan really struggled with her mental health throughout all of this. And there were times where you could tell she was struggling. And then there were times where she seemed, you know, totally fine back to like mm-hmm. kind of her old self pre-injury. Um, and She had decided to step away from lacrosse this this spring of like my, and this is probably like super confusing the way I'm phrasing all this, but the spring of my uh, grad school year Mm -hmm. and that semester she was like stress-free living life. Like I finally was like Morgan's in a good spot, like stepping away from lacrosse, stepping away from all of the responsibilities that come with it, like have really. It felt like a weight was, like, lifted off of her, at least from my perception. And I graduated. She was going back for her fall semester. And I I had seen her around Northern Virginia a little bit when I was home, but I hadn't seen her yet. And then I got a text um, in July that she had passed. And then, you know, found out she died by suicide. And that was, like, very earth-shattering. Um because you think about this kid who just has her whole life ahead of her, was so, so, so special. Like, everyone is so special, but she was so special. Like, she really just brought the fun and, you know, all those things. And and I had struggled with my own mental health. And when she passed, what really shook me was, like, two things. One, I finally thought she was in a good spot. So it it almost was, like, shocking, If if that makes sense, like – Previously, when she had been struggling, which it's always shocking when someone passes, but I don't think it would have been as well, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? Like, but it was like, holy shit, like, how did I not see this kind of a thing? Like, I wish I'd reached out more. I wish I'd done this, like, since I'd last seen her. But then the other side was like this almost like survivor's guilt, where I was like, I was in such a dark space and I was able to get help. Like, why was she not able to get help? like why am i here today and why isn't she here today kind of a thing and i really wrestled with that for like 9 months 9 10 months like talking to my therapist about it like my parents for the first two months after she passed like i was living at home and i was waiting to start work in like january so i was like nannying and you know doing all that and it was like dark like my parents were like we don't really know what to do um and I kind of turned a corner, started work, COVID happened. I was back at home and Morgan's birthday was coming up. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time because we had gone to the memorial, but I was like, I think it's time I go see like where she is. And so I texted her mom. Oh, I'm tearing up. I texted her mom, which was like one of the scariest things to ever do. Like, what do you say to a parent who's lost their child especially after you haven't like checked in or conversed with them or you know after seeing someone for like three straight years kind of like that like end of communication I didn't know how it's going to be received I didn't even know if she was going to text me back I had no idea I was so scared so I texted her and I was like hey thinking about Morgan a lot like would love to come see her for her birthday like is there any way you could send me the address of like where she is and yada yada. And Donna was like, "I would love to have you come. Like, let me know when you want to come. I'll come meet you there. It's right by the house. Um, like, let's plan a date." And so I texted one of my one of the girls in my grade, and I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go do this. I don't know if you're interested. I'm really scared and nervous about like what the conversations are gonna be like with Donna. Would you want to come with me? My mom's gonna drive." And Anne was like, yeah, I'm there. Like, let me know where you want to meet up. We went and like, long story short, because I tend to ramble, saw, saw Morgan, you know, saw her twin sister, saw her brother, saw her mom, and then went back to their house to just kind of like sit and talk. And I hadn't realized that a lot of people like hadn't reached out for probably the same reason that I had avoided reaching out is like, what do you say? Like, (laughs) where do you, where do you even start? No one like trains you on how to chat with someone who lost a daughter, who was also like one of your friends. And so we chatted and, and Anna and I were sitting there and the conversation really turned to like, there's more that needs to be done. Like Morgan is not the only one who has gone through these things and has felt these things and who has ultimately died by suicide. Like there needs to be more support for these young student athletes who are so vulnerable, overwhelmed, like putting themselves up on a pedestal to meet all these like unrealistic expectations, putting pressure on themselves and then not knowing like who to reach out to and how to get help. And that was kind of where the initial like what can we be doing to support someone else's Morgan? Like that was the goal. Um, from there, they had like a barbecue the next weekend I wasn't around. So I didn't go for like her old high school teammates and her club teammates, um, to kind of like celebrate Morgan for her birthday, but also they were planting a tree and they built this like garden where she used to play lacrosse and have her lacrosse goal. Um, and after that, Donna texted him was like, a few of the girls were chatting about like wanting to start something. Like, let's get on a call and let's figure this out. I know you want to be involved. And so like to, to, you know, land the plane here, we get on a call. We're kind of mm-hmm. like, what can we do? It felt like storytelling was the best way to kind of share not just Morgan's story, but anyone's story of who may be struggling and how they were able to get help or like you know, a parent who had lost someone or a therapist who could give tips and tricks on like how to, you know, do breath work or like things like that. And that was where like the podcast idea had kind of been born from. Um, And we landed on like Morgan's message as the name of the nonprofit. And we were like, okay, it's gonna be focused on storytelling. And we have this amazing um, Ambassador Duke who had like her own kind of like mental health club and she came to us my sister played with her i didn't play with her but she came to us Anna Callahan and said like i have a club i would love to make it a Morgan's message club and i would love to kind of do this in honor of Morgan and really open up a safe space for student athletes to come and learn about mental health but also like feel like they're seen and heard With the people at these meetings, if they are struggling with their mental health and like exchanging tips and tricks and really building like a community by and for the student athletes. And we were like, that wasn't even an idea in our mind. But because she came to us, we were like, this is perfect. Like, this is also another way, right? To like build a community, support one another, kind of like have a safe space that doesn't involve coaches or faculty. Like, you have to have a sponsor, but ultimately right is like your peers and you can feel seen and heard. And that was what like started our ambassador arm of Morgan's message. Um, so I'd say we kind of have those like two, we have a few other other things going on, but those are kind of our two biggest ones that, you know, in doing so we hope to destigmatize uh mental health in the student athlete community. And now we are, we just passed our th- 3 year mark in July of like being live with Morgan's message and it's been incredible to see the growth and quite honestly like our our mission statement on our website might be like lengthy my mission statement in my mind is like help someone else's morgan like help help someone who might be really struggling and might make a permanent decision based on temporary feelings by giving them the resources tools and like, ultimately access to stories that may feel similar and can, they can relate to and see that, like, they can they can get through it. Like, other people have gone through it. They can get through it um, by, like, raising a hand and asking for help.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so it, it was – as you were telling the story, like, I was thinking, like – she didn't play much her freshman year and then like and then she had the injury and it was like a few things that kinda of mounted and she she hung her identity on being a lacrosse player, you know, and so many so many people hang what they do. That's what their identity is. Um and so it, it kind of at a loss for words here. But uh you know, it's it's um it's so incredible what you guys are doing and, you know, just helping people feel like they're not alone and that there's other options and answers out there is incredible. So, um, so yeah, talk about, you know, the ambassador program, how it's grown, um, on your website, there's, I can't remember the number, but it's a, a, an incredible number of schools that have uh, yeah. a chapter and ambassadors and, so th- talk about how that's grown and, and how it's going.
1: Yeah, I'm probably going to butcher the numbers. Um, I always say like Claire, our education director, Claire Kehoe, she like really runs uh-huh. runs that initiative. I, th- I want to say it's like over 3,500 ambassadors in around like 1,800 campuses, uh-huh. maybe above that at both the collegiate and high school level, which is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And like we're growing every single day, which is also – amazing um and and but what define
0: that re- i'm sorry no go you ahead. go i was just going to say define what an ambassador is and what the role is how do you become an ambassador
1: yeah so you can apply through our website um answer a few questions and then you know claire meets with you essentially what it is is really just like being a representative for Morgan's message and expanding the dialogue of mental health on your campus. So it can look a little bit different campus to campus um, in terms of like how frequently they're meeting with their team, you know in, in those kind of things, but what we offer are we have speaking engagements um, kind of like resources We're we're starting to launch a platform that'll have written resources, video resources for all of our ambassadors to share with their groups. Um, and I think what's great is there's like flexibility to make it what you need. So it's not like you need to hit X, Y, Z. It's like, here, here's what we're giving you, like run a meeting. Um, if you need help, if you want one of us to speak to you, we're more than happy to get on a zoom and like educate or just like chat about Morgan's message. Um, and so that's kind of the, I would say the bones of the ambassador Mm -hmm. program. Hopefully that answered your question.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah it did um and so there's chapters all over the country now um and how's that going and you know how what's been the res- obviously the response is good because there's a lot of chapters um which is the ultimate you know legacy her legacy carrying on and and um that sort of thing but talk about the response on campuses and um
1: I, I guess like my, I kind of have like an outside looking in view since I'm not in it day to day. I would say like the biggest thing that kind of has touched my heart is we, our student athletes will decide to do like Morgan's message themed games, which I think is incredible. Um, One that comes to mind is the Duke lacrosse team. The women's team played the Syracuse women's team and same with Virginia Tech and they designed morgan's message t-shirts and made the game like more about just like us versus you it was like we are all connected by like standing up and you know trying to bring awareness for mental health and this is bigger than just a game right and right. so those are moments where i'm like this is incredible uh football players wearing stickers on their helmets uh these themed games like that's that's really where I feel like these student athletes are using their platform to raise awareness and and be proud about being a mental health advocate, which is not something that I think has been like a thing in at least when I was there, right they're like mental health was so like, oh, don't talk about it. Uh, right. And now these athletes are like standing up and being like, no, like I'm proud to be a Morgan's message ambassador or like we, there's another nonprofit called the hidden opponent where they also have like stickers and, amb- and a, I don't know if it's an ambassador program or what it's called, but they also do the same thing in a sense where it's like empowering these student athletes to really embrace like something that they care about and that is dear to them and being able to use the platform they have to support it, which is incredible.
0: Right. Um. So Tell me again what your personal mission is, because I want to build on that.
1: My personal mission? Help someone else's Morgan.
0: Right. So, I mean, having gone through that experience of losing someone, um, you know, like you said, you have all these questions in your head. You know, what could I have done differently? And then you have the survivor guilt. So what would be your advice to, um, A, someone who has someone in their life that you can tell is struggling? And then if the, you know, the unthinkable happens, how to handle that.
1: Oh, second one's um, a yeah. I think, I think when I look back, I wish what I had known is that you were so much more than what you do. Like you intrinsically have value. Like you just existing, you are valuable no matter what. Like it doesn't matter these other external things, just like you being a human, are so loved, so valuable, and so needed on this this earth. I think we, as a culture, tend to, and society, tend to praise people based on the things they accomplish, which is a dangerous slope. And I, and I don't, I don't know. I, I I think that like that's one thing. Like if someone was struggling, like you know, being for them there for them to listen and just reminding them that you love them without all the stuff. Like the stuff is great, but that's not who they are. That's not where their value is driven from. Um, and I think that needs to be like kind of the messaging in general in the world. Uh, it's really easy to get caught up in like the social media cycle and the comparison game. And it, it, it can be a really, really bad yeah place to get into. So that would be my, like, if someone's struggling, like, Reach out. You're there for them. Call them just to say I love you. Um, a little bit can go a far a long way. Like I I send my friends texts or I'll send them letters in the mail that are just like thinking about you, like hope you're having a great day and we'll bring up like a memory of like today I smiled because I was thinking about this time when like this happened and it can seem mm-hmm. so small, but it can add such a, such value just just to remind them that, like, they are important to you without all the stuff. Um, I think for me, I'll speak from experience of, like, losing someone, therapy was really important for me. Um, My parents had never lost a loved one to suicide, and so they didn't really know, like, they didn't have the tools to handle it. I wasn't in school with, like, a built-in support system. So, like, getting myself help in the form of, like, someone i could trust who was going to kind of give me tools and tricks and just a safe space to to cry or get angry and work through in a non-judgmental way where i also knew nothing was going to get back to anyone like that that was really good for me to work through my emotions but then also i think what my parents did really well especially my mom was like on days that i was feeling sad she'd be like what do you need like do you want to go walk around Trader Joe's and get some can like she'd be like do you want me to leave you alone? Do you want to go for a, a, like what what kind of do you need? Because I can tell you're feeling down. Um, and having that space for me to decide like oh, what do I need today? Was was great. Um, and I think that can also be a way to open up the conversation because some days, you know, when I was like, yeah, I want to walk, I end up talking and opening up and and that was great. So, long-winded answers, but
0: <laughs> no, it's super important. Um yeah, I mean it's interesting like on your guys bios on the website you talk about kind of uh, briefly about, you know, maybe what your journey within becoming aware of your mental health is and that sort of thing. So, I think just that's destigmatizing, right? So, it's um it's really really important. Um yeah. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing all that. Um, I hope that, and I'll definitely, you know, when I post this podcast, we'll direct people to Morgan's message. Um, if they haven't already heard of it, I think it's, it's, um, it's a very important thing for people who listen to this, you know, student athletes and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you for having me on. This was, this is awesome. Hopefully at least one person listening can, Take something of value away.
0: I did. So there (laughs) you go. Yeah. Hold on one sec. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast. Kat and Morgan's message have an important mission, and it cannot be stressed enough that the stigma around mental health must be normalized in order to eliminate the tragedies that continue to occur. Go to morgansmessage.org to learn more. Please continue to subscribe and share the podcast with someone who can benefit, and send me your comments and questions through matchplayrecruit.com. Also, follow us on social media. See you on the trail.